have other great things coming up. I, I'm going to give you a little preview because I'm excited. But uh, we we have uh, some, I, I, in prayer this year, I just felt to to ask certain people to be with us at LifePoint. And so we've got, we've got some exciting guests that are going to be with us at LifePoint. We have Pastor Rick Marcelli, who's been here many times before, but he's going to be here in March. He and Sister Donna are going to be very, very powerful. He has a word for us, he told me, and we're going to give him that opportunity to deliver that. So I'm very excited about Brother Marcelli being here. Morton Bustard will be back with us in March, uh, and that will be towards the end of the month of March. Brother Marcelli's the beginning of March. And Brother Bustard, wow, has been with us for many, many times uh, through the years. And, and what a blessing he's been, especially the last couple of times. Just phenomenal what God has done with Brother Bustard here. And then in April, we're going to do something we have never done before ever. We're going to have a Sunday morning, but then we're going to have a Sunday night service in April. I'm just like blown away by the response. Uh, people told me they said they said, "Are you gonna, are you gonna, w w will your people come to a Sunday night?" I said, "Well, th I know they'll come to one, <laughs> right? <laughs> if we start doing it all the time, I'm not convinced. But uh, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But we're gonna do a Sunday night uh, in April, and we're going to have Glenn Massey with us from Lake Charles, Pastor Massey, and Madonna's gonna sing, and like we're just, it's gonna rock." And it's going to be a faith and healing service that Sunday night. And so I'm very, very excited about that. We've just got some great things coming up. And our, our groups are in full session and kicking, man, just like connecting people. Uh, the men's prayer breakfast that's coming up is uh, and not not this weekend, but the next. We, we have 20-something guys going to be there at Frank's. And so I got to get a room reserved, and, and uh, we take over when we do this, and I'm very excited about that. Uh, just some great times here at Life Point. And we are going back to Genesis. Journey through Genesis finally picks up and continues. This is Journey through Genesis part 26. We're going to wrap up Genesis 29 tonight. We're going to hit Genesis 30 and Genesis 31. We're going to cover some ground tonight. And let me go ahead and tell you this. We're a little over halfway through Genesis, but our next book that we're going to go through as a church on Wednesday nights is not going to be Exodus. It's going to be the book of Revelation. We're going to hit the book of Revelation next. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And we've already hit a ton of books in between, but we're going to hit those, and I'm very excited uh, about that up-and-coming Bible study in Revelation. But tonight we're in Genesis, so I want to say a prayer, and we'll jump right in. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, speak truth to us, God. Put that strength in us that comes from the word of God, that faith that comes from hearing and hearing by the word. And I give you praise for it right now in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. All right, uh, this is Journey Through Genesis, Part 26, Genesis 29, Part 2, Genesis 30, and Genesis 31. Let me do a little review. Verses 31 and 32 of Genesis 29 says, when the, law, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, 
she opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Reuben means behold a son. She thought, if I have a son, then Jacob will love me because we knew, we saw Jacob did not love. He did not love her. He loved Rachel. Well, verse 33, then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Undoubtedly, the birth of Reuben did not cause Jacob to love Rachel or uh, Leah. So she named her second son with Jacob Simeon, which means hearing, hoping that everyone would understand that the Lord had heard her. And verse 34, she conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So she names him Levi, which meant attached. She was hoping that Jacob would never let her out of his sight again. But Rachel remained the favorite, and Leah was unloved, felt unwanted. Remember, her name meant cow eyes, whatever that means. It doesn't sound too pleasant, even though I think cow eyes are absolutely beautiful, Uh it sounds like a derogatory statement. I think that any husband that called his wife cow eyes would, uh, you know, not be welcomed with open arms, you know, like that's so sweet. Uh, and then verse 35, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, now I will praise the Lord. So she calls his name Judah, and then she stopped bearing. Judah means praise. She praised the Lord in spite of her circumstances. There's a lot to learn in there. Guzik says, Leah, though she was neglected by Jacob and despised by Rachel, had a great purpose in God's plan. The two greatest tribes came from Leah, not Rachel. Levi, the priestly tribe, and Judah, the royal tribe. And most importantly, the Messiah came from Leah, the less attractive sister who was neglected and despised, but learned to look to the Lord and to praise Him. There's a lot to learn from this lady named Leah. Now, chapter 30, let's jump into this, and I'm just going to say this quite a few times in this chapter. Let me go ahead and say it at the onset, and you think your family is dysfunctional. Verse 1, now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, now this is the one that he loved, Rachel envied her sister. And said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. And she's jealous. And she's putting the heat on Jacob. It's your fault. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So she said, here is my maid, Bilhah, and the idea is this, you, you take her and you have a kid with her. Verse 5, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case, and he has heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name 
Dan. And Dan means he's judged my case. And Rachel's maid, Billah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister. Notice it's all about her sister. And indeed, I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Now, there's jealousy, competition, deceit, multiple wives. Now we have a concubine involved. This is crazy. And you thought your family was dysfunctional. Verses 9 through 13, just when you think it can't get any worse, when Leah saw that she had stopped having kids, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob, his wife. And, and Jacob just, th- this, is just a night, this is just a nightmare. Verse 10, and Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, a troop comes. So she called his name Gad. And Leah's maid, Zilpah, Bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. Again, competition, deceit, multiple wives, now multiple concubines. It's crazy. And you thought your family was dysfunctional. Can you imagine the breakfast table, right? Can you pass the orange juice? You lousy, I'm sorry, what was that? Just just pass the orange juice. Jacob's walking on eggshells constantly. He's got all this jealousy going on, sisters, concubines. Everybody is mad at him. Uh, it's, it's It's just very, very dysfunctional. Very dysfunctional. No wonder Melchizedek is no longer around, right? He, the, he didn't want to pastor that group of people. Can you imagine the counseling sessions they would have to have? Pastor, we, we're having trouble. We need to talk to you. Who's having trouble? Well, it's, you know, it's Bill and Zill and, and, you know, <laughs> and Leah and Rachel. and It's the kids and everybody's mad. And Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Verse 14. Now, Reuben, it, it, this, it gets weirder, folks. This is in your Bible. Now Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field. Now mandrakes, historically, traditionally, back in this time, were seen as some kind of uh, fertility drug, something that would, would, if you ate it, it would make you more fertile. And so apparently everybody's wanting to have kids, and the kids know the moms are still wanting to have kids. I'm just saying it's right here. And Reuben went in the days of weed harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother. Dysfunction. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Words out in the camp. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? This is just a mess. And Rachel, she said, well, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came out of the field in the evening, just has no idea. Leah went out to meet him and said, 
must come into me, for I've surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. Verse 17. I, I have a hard time reading this, right? Read in your personal time. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me wages because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. He's, he's paid me back. He's given me wages. Again, competition, deceit, wives, concubines, and you thought your family was dysfunctional. Look at verse 19. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Verse 21. This is funny to me. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Dinah has no significant meaning. She's just a girl. That's the way it comes across, you know, like, and she has this daughter and calls her Dinah. But here's the deal. Dinah is going to come into play soon enough. There's going to be some, there's going to be some happenings because of Dinah. Now look with me to verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb and she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. So she has Joseph, who's very special, as we'll see in the story. And she prophesied the birth of another son. And his name would be called Benjamin. Joseph and Benjamin are very special. As a matter of fact, when she would give birth to Benjamin, we'll see in Genesis 35, she's going to die in giving birth to that final son. But he's very special. He's very special in the story of redemption, as is Joseph, who is a beautiful type of Christ. Now, the next verses, 25 through 43, I'm not going to read them. Maybe I shouldn't have read some of the ones I've already read. But I'm not going to read these uh, because they're just some, it's just a lot of detail that is uh, interesting and it's uh, fascinating. But we're going to see uh, in those verses, you'll see if you go back and read them, somehow Jacob is blessed in spite of his father-in-law, who is a conniving pistol. He is blessed, and he is powerfully blessed. Somehow through genetics, Mendelian genetics, dominant, recessive genes, Jacob is blessed through, through this deal he makes with Laban and uh the, the spotted and the blemished and the, the co- discolored animals, uh, there, there's a blessing that's going to come to him. And somehow through mixing stripped branches of particular wood with the water of the animals, uh, Jacob is, is going, to ble- to, going to be richly blessed. And we're told in Genesis 31 
verses 10 through 12, that the angel of the Lord gave Jacob a dream or a vision. And he knew how to behave. He knew the deal to make. He knew what was going to happen. Now, here's the deal. Jacob was just living his life. This is a snapshot of his life. But he's intricately wrapped up in the covenant plan of God. And we saw this. He's been maturing all along. But even when he was a young whippersnapper with with just a terrible habit of lying and deceiving, uh, he was hungry for the things of God. And he manipulated. He used people. But in so doing, he got himself tangled up in the covenant plan of God. And God sees to it that Jacob has the socks blessed off of him. He takes care of Jacob, and he does so in those verses in some weird ways, but he very much blesses Jacob. Let me say this. When you walk in God's covenant plan, it doesn't mean that you're perfect. As a matter of fact, everybody in this room tonight, you're not perfect. None of us are. When you first come to Jesus and you turn to Him in the first place and you say, Lord, I'm stopping following and believing and trusting in whatever I have trusted in and I'm beginning to trust and believe in You. You've repented. You've turned to Jesus. You see Him as the Lord of your life. That is wonderful and that is awesome and that's part of the covenant. And then when you follow through in the New Testament, and you submit to the waters of baptism, and you say, I want to be born again of the water, and I submit to you in your name. I'm going down in that tank, and I'm believing you, Lord, to take away all of my sins. That is wonderful. That is beautiful. That is part of the covenant plan. But I want to tell you, those two steps, you're still not perfect. You're still going to come out of that water and make plenty of mistakes and still sin some more. And if you say that's not true, then let me just tell you, you're a liar. And you need to ask God that you don't go to hell for lying. It's a, it's a, you're involved in the covenant, but you're still not perfect. And then when God fills you with the Holy Ghost and you speak in other tongues, and you feel like you've done going up into the third heaven, you're feeling so blessed, so filled with power, man, been born again of water and the Spirit, man, just powerful stuff. And the Spirit of God flows through, fills you wall-to-wall Holy Ghost on the inside. You still are not perfect. Now, that ghost is called the Holy Ghost. Holy is a covenant word. Moses, take off your sandals. The ground you're standing on is holy ground. It was just dirt. The sheep used the bathroom in that dirt. It was just dirt. But God was conducting covenant business. I'm going to send you over there to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And because covenant business was being conducted on that ground, it was holy ground. It was holy ground. It was set apart for the use of the covenant. And when you're filled with the ghost that's holy, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, that's the Spirit of God that has been set apart for covenant purpose to redeem you, to set you apart, to empower you to live an overcoming life, to do great things, covenant things in your life. But you're still not perfect. And that Holy Ghost, one of the things that He's going to do is convict you. 
You're going to make some mistakes. You're going to fail. And that Holy Ghost, not going to leave and depart you. That Holy Ghost is going to say, hey, Donovan, you've done some things wrong. You need to turn back. You need to change your ways. He'll convict and convince you of sin and pull you back, pull you back, restrain you, turn you, speak to you. But you're still not perfect. And that's why you got the Holy Ghost to help you in your walk, to empower you to live the life that God's called you to live. But you're still not perfect. When you get wrapped up in covenant business, you're still not perfect. In the New Testament, you still are going to make mistakes. And if that's true in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, it's especially true. Jacob was part of the covenant. But, oh, Jacob was a mess. Jacob had a lot of struggles, a lot of growing to do. But he was learning to live his way, his life, in such a way that lined up with the will of his covenant partner. And when you begin to let God direct you and guide you, and you begin to live a life, that is matching the covenant into which you've been brought, this new and glorious covenant in our case, then you're going to live your life in such a way that to the outsider may seem silly. You're going to live your life in such a way that to the one who's not in the covenant, it looks like it makes no sense, it's foolish, it's excessive, it's conservative, it's ridiculous, it's uncool, and in some ways, it may seem like you're too liberal. You give too much of your time, talent, and treasure. You tithe. You sow in famines and difficult times. You quit doing some things. You start doing other things. It may come down to the very words that you choose to say or the words that you choose not to say. You may be accused of being a legalist even in your speech, your dress, the way you adorn yourself, what you eat, what you don't eat, what you drink, what you don't drink. But when you live like that, lining up with the covenant purposes of God, listen, it's beyond what you see in this natural realm. Angels are loosed to help you and to walk with you and to strengthen you and to partner with you. You think I'm making this up? Listen, this is the Old Testament. We live in the New Testament, which is better, which is stronger, which brings more to the table. And in this old covenant patriarch's life, watch this, watch this. Let's, let's look at this in chapter 31. Uh, chapter 31. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to read all of this. I, I'm going to get to the angel part in just a moment. But as a matter of fact, I'm not going to read verses 1 through 55. Everybody say, thank you, Lord. Well, that's page, another page. Oh, and that's the end of the chapter. Well, no wonder we're going to finish that one up quick. The bottom line is this. From that, we're going to see the angels of the Lord get involved. But the bottom line from all those 55 verses is this. Jacob had to leave 
Laban. Laban was hindering him. Laban was holding him back. For Jacob to embrace his future, he had to dump his past. And Laban was part of his past. Laban had been a bad influence on Jacob. Laban was a drag. Laban was an idolater. He did not worship the one true and living God exclusively. He was an idolater. He was carnal. He influenced those girls in bad ways. He was part of Jacob's past, and he was not to be part of Jacob's future. Let me say this. When you're walking in covenant, there are some people you just got to let go of. They're in your past, honey. They're not part of your future. You got to let them go. What People, listen, you got to learn to let people go, especially if they're holding you back from your destiny and your purpose. They, they don't understand. They feel like they're, you're doing them wrong. You're hurting their feelings. But you just have to understand, you're not part of my future. You're holding me back. God's got something else for me, and you're a hindrance. If you want to come with me, feel free to. But I can't hang out back here because God's taken me somewhere I've never been before. Jacob had to let go of Laban. you got to learn to let go of some people. Now, sometimes those people will promise you things, freedom, prosperity. Laban was trying to lay it on thick. I've blessed you. I'll continue to bless you. You won't have a life without me. You don't have to live this life of faith is what he was saying. You don't have to live this, this life that you feel like this, these voices are telling you you've got to live. You'll have people telling you, listen, you don't have to live a disciplined life, Donovan. When I came to the Lord, I got some, I got some pushback, pushback. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I got some pushback from some of my friends that were mad at me. Now, they had good reason to be mad at me because I swore I'd never go to church. I hated church. And all of a sudden, I'm going back to church, and my friends were disappointed. But I had heard from God, man. God had gotten a hold of my heart, changed my life. You've got to learn that, that they promise freedom, but they don't deliver freedom. They, they were telling me, you, you can drink. You, you don't have to live a sober life, not all the time. You you got to let your hair down sometimes. You can be free like we are. Uh, why do you want to go to Canaan is what Laban was saying. Why do you want to go there? Uh, you, you think you're better than we are? But listen, the freedom that your past offers is really bondage. It'll keep you from going where God wants you to go. You've got to learn to grow up, grow in your relationship with God, and let that trump every other relationship in your life. Amen. You got to let that trump it all, man. I mean, like trump family, trump friends, trump whatever is holding you back. Now, again, Jacob wasn't perfect. He was growing in his relationship with God. Jacob had been a bad boy, but he was changing. God, that's what I love. We're pushing discipleship this year at LifePoint. Discipleship. It's not about being perfect. Disciples are not perfect. I've already said that, but the thing is, they're changing. In the right direction. We love people no matter where they are. People misunderstand us. You know, oh, when, when I used to go to my Bible study at, on Industrial Plex with uh, one of our first small groups at LifePoint, they were smoking dope. You, you wouldn't believe the things that took place at that place of business. And then here comes 
Donovan, and sometimes I had a missionary with me from a foreign country who was visiting LifePoint, which was T90 at the time, and I would say, hey, I want you to go with me to my Bible study at 8 o'clock in the morning. Oh, yeah, pastor, love to, love to. That's a big group of people. That's a little different. Oh, it's okay, we're foreign missionaries, and we understand that's the way it is. So they come in, and they're just like blunts and, and people puffing smoke, and you just don't even want to know what was going on. I could tell you some stories. And we would walk in, we'd go in that place, and, you know, like, whoo, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. And old D.H. would set up his Bible study chart. And, you know, if somebody were just to look at the outside, that was my congregation. And, and people would look at the outside and say, well, Donovan doesn't believe fat meat's greasy. He believes you can smoke, you know, he gave us the seed-bearing herbs in the garden, gave us dominion over the seed-bearing herbs, you know, like, they, they believe in, in that, you know. No, that's not the truth. I'm going to love people. I, I told you some of those stories. You know, one of the guys, his name was Caesar. And Caesar, we started a church-wide fast. And, and I got a phone call from, from one of the beloved saints at LifePoint. They said, Pastor, you'll, you'll never believe it. Caesar is fasting this week of prayer and fasting. I said, that's amazing. He said he's never fasted before in his life. I said, man, that's incredible. I'm so happy for Caesar. Now, Caesar had been institutionalized for a long time, so much so that I saw him in his house. He was free. He was not in the jail. He was free, and he had a knife, and he was carving a shiv out of a toothbrush. And I said, Caesar, what you doing? He said, I'm making a shiv. I said, well, you don't need a shiv. You have a knife in your hand. But he had been institutionalized so long that he just felt like I got to make a shift, you know, just in case. And Caesar was fasting. They called me. They said, Caesar's fasting. I said, that's awesome. They said, he's fasting weed, Pastor. Smokes weed every day. He's fasting weed this week. I said, oh, glory to God. You know, like, we got the victory because he's fasting weed. Hey, he wasn't perfect. And people could, could criticize us and say, well, you don't believe fat meat's greasy. That's not true. I do believe fat meat's greasy, and I don't know why that saying ever came about. But I don't believe you should smoke weed. I think that's, that's, that's banned substance. I mean, God gave us the puffer fish also, but you don't eat the puffer fish because you'll die of poison. I don't believe in cannabis oil, like laying hands on people with cannabis oil. I don't believe in that stuff, okay? But I believe in loving people wherever they are on the spectrum. You get to face in the right direction. Hey, God will do incredible things for you. God will move heaven and earth to get his blessings and favor to you. God will do awesome things for you. And some of those boys made incredible turnarounds. And they're growing a humongous church in south, south of Houston today because of the favor and the blessing of God in a little warehouse on Industrial Plex. Amen. And Jacob, well, Jacob had been a bad boy, but he was changing. And every move that he made toward God, God stepped in with mighty power and with his mighty angels. So go with me to chapter 32. Are you with me in this little Bible study? Verse 1, chapter 32. So Jacob went on his way. So he leaves Laban, and the angels of God met him. This bad boy 
has the mighty angels of God, Jeff, with him. These are the same angels he saw ascending and descending on the ladder, on the stairway, all those years before. They've never left him. In all of his wanderings, meanderings, multiple wives, concubines, just failures on so many levels. But he was just constantly adjusting, and God was getting through his thick head some truth. I've got to get away from Laban. I've got to leave this. God's calling me back to the land of my fathers. And he turns back, and there are the angels of God to meet him. Verse 2, when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim, meaning two camps. This is where heaven and earth were coming together. He saw this angelic intervention. And it was just in time for him to confront a ghost from his past. He's leaving Laban behind, but he's going to have to face Esau, his older twin brother, the one he had deceived and taken advantage of many years before. Look at verse 3. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Now, he's got these mighty angels, but he's, he knows I did this boy wrong. Oh, I know it. And he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company, which is left, will escape. So here he is absolutely panicked. And he starts talking to God, making schemes and plans. And he starts quoting God. We'll see this in these next verses. Look at verse 9. Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, quoting him, return to your country and to your family. I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. Don't you love that language? All the mercies and all the truth. You don't get all mercy without getting all truth. You don't get all truth without getting all mercy. People get out of balance and out of whack when they're like, all mercy, no truth. That's not how God works. Or all truth and no mercy. Are you kidding me? Who could stand? But he says, I don't deserve all mercy. I don't deserve all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray. From the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, again, it's quoting, you said this, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Notice he has kept a record of what God has said to him. So he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother, 200 female goats. 20 male goats. I just think this is hilarious. He's, he's like, he's like get, get all those goats. 
you know all those female goats and all those male goats. My my cousin used to have uh, a, a nanny goat named Billy, and uh, she was funny. She ate everything. We we tested that. We also would shove her up against the electric fence. But we were children and didn't know any better. And uh, Billy would eat cans. She really would. She'd eat anything. And uh, magazines and just anything. She ate everything. Uh, so give all these goats uh, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milk camels and their colts. I, I, that's just weird to me, milk camels or that, whatever. 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 foals. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants every uh, uh, every drove by itself and said to the servants, pass over before me and put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one saying, when he saw my brother meet you and ask you, say, to whom do you belong and where are you going? Whose are these in, in front of you? Then you shall say, they are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau. And behold, he is also behind us. So he commanded the second, the third, and all who followed the drove, saying, In this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him, and also say, Behold your servant Jacob. Your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me, and afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on over before him, but he lodged that night in the camp. And then we have this encounter, this encounter that forever changed Jacob is absolutely changed by what happens next. Look at verse 22. And he arose that night and took his two wives. This is Leah and Rachel. Notice Zillah and Billah are nowhere to be found. Takes his two wives, his two female servants. Well, there they are, but they're not mentioned as wives. His 11 sons and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook. And sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint. And he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what's your name? He said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, what is that you ask about my name? Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him. He limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. Jacob was desperate, and God met him in his desperation. Aren't you glad that God knows how to find you and meet you in the middle of your desperation? Those angels had never left him. The angels of the Lord encamp round about those that fear the Lord. My pastor, Brother Dean, used to say, uh, God, protect my kids. Let your angels encamp round about my children. And he said the Lord spoke to him one day and said, teach them to fear my name. Because the Lord encamps round about those that fear my name. 
And so Jacob was learning to fear the name of the Lord. And those angels were there. He had seen them many times. And they were there. And so in his desperation, a man meets him. Is this a theophany? Is this an angel? Man is capitalized in the New King James and other versions. Uh, I don't know. I don't assume to answer, have the answer to that. I just know that if that was the Lord himself or an angel, that angel was representing God. And Jacob was desperate and holding on. And, and the Lord knocked his hip out of socket. The sinew shrank, the King James says. And, and, and he still, with that injury, held on in desperation. It was an all-night prayer meeting, holding on, wrestling. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. This was a test of his tenacity. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want to change? Sometimes God lets us get in a mess, and that mess gets so bad, and we become so desperate that he doesn't just immediately get us out of it. He lets us struggle through it. And in that struggle, and I don't understand all that, but I know in that struggle, that desperation is tested, that, that I won't let you go until you bless me. I don't need to just get out of this. I need you to bless me. That's very important. I don't, I'm just not looking for a way of escape. I need a blessing. And I'm going to hold on until, until you change me. Don't you get sick of yourself sometimes? Jacob was realizing, I am my worst enemy. I am my problem. And I am not going to let you go until you m- mess with the mess. Change the messer. I'm the problem. Change me, Lord. Not until you bless I'm not letting go. Knox is, is, so he's, is limping, he's hurting. I'm not going to let you, it's, that's not enough. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And, and he, he gets desperate. He said, what's your name? Why is it you want to know my name? What's your name? I'm Jacob. He says, oh, you were Jacob. But because of this encounter, you'll no longer be called Jacob, but you will be Israel. I am changing just like his grandfather Abram was changed to Abraham and his entire destiny was changed. The Lord said, I'm going to change everything about you. And, and I'm closing with this. And he did. He was never the same. And we'll see it as we get into this. Jacob, the deceiver, had raised these boys and they were monsters. They were monsters who would cold-heartedly lie and conceive the idea of murdering Joseph, their brother, lying to their father, leaving him in a pit. They would sell Joseph into slavery. What kind of upbringing did they have? They were raised by a monster named Jacob who was hungry for covenant things but was a bad boy. And they had received from their dad that carnal, selfish, survival instinct, all about self, all about me, all about mine, all about getting ahead, all about getting that, that lust in my heart fulfilled and satisfied. And they, they were raised by a monster, and they became monsters, but not Joseph. Joseph was raised by the man who had been touched at the brook Jabbok. 
who had been touched by the Lord, who had his name changed. And Joseph was altogether different. Joseph had God dreams. Joseph had a destiny. Joseph would end up saving his father and his mean scoundrel brothers. And then Benjamin, who would come along, and we see where Rachel dies in giving childbirth to Benjamin, that youngest son. Again, different, raised by a different man. I'm going to tell you something. I don't care how old you are, you're never too old to change. You're never too old to have a God encounter that alters the rest of your life. Quit getting hung up on how bad you've been in your past and let God show you a fresh vision of what can be in your future. Amen? That's why we're in the business we're in, because we believe God can change lives. Well, you don't understand. I've been so, 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 so bad. You don't know the person next to you. You don't know their story. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. God's been so good. He can deliver you and put you into a future that changes everything. Your grandkids will know a different person than maybe your kids did. That's okay. Let God use you. Amen. Stand with me right now. It's incredible what God did in Jacob because everything really did change. And, and, and Jacob's grandkids did know a different dad. And those scoundrel boys finally came around and became humble. Especially when they stood before the brother they thought was dead and realized God had raised him up. You know that emoji with the, like, if they were texting dad, they're like, you know, Joseph's alive. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and, and you know what they did before Joseph? Just like Joseph's dream said, they bowed the knee, humbled. But it wasn't Joseph that brought that about. It was the old man at Jabok years before who said, I'm not going to let you go till you change me from the inside out. Change my nature. I'm sick of Jacob. I'm sick. I'm always in this same situation, in the same mess. Change me. I'm telling you, what we need a revival of in the modern church is a bunch of men and a bunch of women not to proud to say, God, change me. My biggest problem is me. Change me, Lord. Change me. Change me. Change my future. Change my heart. Change my inside. Change me from the inside out. God, make a difference in my life so I can make a difference in somebody else's life. Amen. Can you lift your hands to him right now? Thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for these stories in Genesis that bring a fresh hope to our lives. God, you can change anybody. You can change us, Lord, just like you changed an old covenant patriarch. You can change a new covenant believer. doesn't matter how long we served you and how unsuccessfully we've served you, Lord. You can change us starting today for the rest of our lives. We don't have to be stuck like this because there's a greater one at work on the inside of us, Lord. There's someone who's able to complete that which he started. Father, I thank you, Lord, that we're changed from glory to glory, from faith to faith, Lord. God, there's a convicting power of the Holy Spirit that shifts us and awakens us and convicts us. And God, may we not buck and kick against that. May we humble ourselves and say, change me. I'm sick of myself. 